I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There are many definitions for the word love. It can be an intense feeling of affection. It could refer to a romantic or sexual attraction. Perhaps it's a strong passion for a particular sport, like I love golf. Or it can signify the score of zero in tennis, love 15. <laughs> in the Old Testament, it has quite a lot to say about love. In fact, the word love is used 339 times. There's the love between a father and son as seen in the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. There is the love that was between friends as we see in the relationship between David and Jonathan. The entire book of the Song of Solomon highlights romantic and sexual love. And of course we see God's love towards his people in passages like Psalm 36.5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. And so how is it in John 13.34, can Jesus say, a new commandment I give you, love one another? Didn't he say that throughout the entire Old Testament? Well, the thing that makes it a new commandment is the second half of the verse. Jesus goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And so now we see a qualifier, right? Love, but love in a new way, in the way that I have loved you. One of the interesting things about this verse is that's the only time that Jesus said, I give you a commandment. Now, he gave a lot of commandments, but he never said, I give you a commandment. This is the only time that he said that. And so the question that comes to mind, if Jesus gives us this commandment and says, I give you a commandment, then how are we to love one another like he loved us? How do we work that out in our everyday Christian life. And so I poured through the entire New Testament, and I looked at every single passage that had to do with love, with loving one another. And they all fell naturally into two general categories, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. First of all, loving one another like Jesus involves laying down your life for your friends. Now, there are many types of people that come to mind when we think about laying down our lives. I think of movies like Saving Private Ryan that depicts the invasion on D-Day. And all these men, including one of my grandfathers, who charged the beach of Normandy, and they laid down their life for their friends, for their comrades, for their countrymen, for their allies. Or I think about just back in September, how we celebrated the 20th anniversary of the Twin Towers, 9-11. And how in a dramatic fashion, those men and women ran into that building to try to save people's lives. They laid down their lives for another person. And so this is what we see when we think about love in the call of duty, right? Right? But is this what Jesus is calling us to here? 
when he challenges us to lay down our lives for our friends? Are we supposed to look for ways to heroically jump in front of buses and save people from being run over? Should we look for jobs in the military or in the police and fire departments? One way that people lay down their lives for one another, which exemplifies the sacrificial love that Jesus was talking about, is becoming less popular in America today. A recent ABC article entitled, Married, Successful, and Happy to be Child-Free, tells us why sacrificing your life for your children is on the decline. And I quote, Only two decades ago, the majority of Americans considered children vital to a good marriage. Today, kids fall near the bottom of the list, behind shared household chores, adequate income and housing, and a happy sexual relationship. The study also found that having children is no longer the leading motivation for marriage. About 65% say that the main purpose is to form a union for personal happiness and fulfillment as opposed to having and raising children, said Carrie Funk, a senior research director of the Pew Research Center. One woman gave her reason for choosing to not have children, and I quote, A child, after all, can't be treated as a fantasy projection of my imagined self. He or she would be another person with needs and desires that I would be tethered to for decades, and everything about meeting those needs fills me with horror. (laughs) When I see the sacrifices that my wife has made for our four children, and I think about how God has blessed us with those kids and taught us so much, I think of the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. He said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And so this is one of the ways that we follow Jesus. We follow his command to love one another when we lay down our own lives for them, when we look to their needs. And I want you to notice in this verse, it doesn't say just needs. It also says their interests. And so one of the best ways to show love toward another person is to get interested in the things that they're interested in. Back when I was working at St. Ansgar's and Pastor Hoff and I were still there together, we worked together for about four years, we would talk in the hallway many times, take a break from the day and working and meet in the hallway and chat a bit. And about 80% of the time, the topic that came up was guns. (laughs) If you know Pastor Hoff, He loves guns. He's part of a Swiss rifle club. He has an ancient military weapon that his grandfather passed down to him. He would tell me all about ammunition and this firing pin and that. I would stand there and my eyes would kind of glaze over because I'm not a big gun guy. In fact, when I held up that restaurant 30 years ago, I used a toy gun. Right? Okay, I don't like them. You could hurt somebody, right? (laughs) But you know what? I sat and I asked him questions. Oh, is that right? You know, what's the stock on that thing like? Not that I cared, but I love him. 
And I was so excited to see him get excited about guns, just as much as he did with me when I talked about that great shot that got me that hole-in-one, right? On the golf course, because he loves me as a person, not necessarily the thing I'm interested in. And so that's one of the ways that we can show our love toward one another, is get interested in the things that other people are interested in. Maybe do something even with them that they love to do and show our love that way. And so Jesus shows that that this is the ultimate level of what he did for us. He left heaven, right? Because he was interested in our well-being. He wanted to meet our needs. And so as his followers, we need to do the same thing. We need to look to the needs of other people more even than our own. Next, we see here that loving one another like Jesus involves bearing with one another's weaknesses. People can be very annoying, and most of the problem is that they're not perfect like us, right? In psychology, there's a very consistent observation when it comes to how humans deal with other people's shortcomings and weaknesses. We are hard on others, but we are easy on ourselves, right? We're very easy to forgive that thing that we do that annoys us so much that the other person does. In fact, most of the time, the reason we hate it is because we see it in ourselves. But we'll forgive ourselves very easily. Oh, I was hungry, I was tired, I, whatever. We have many excuses about why we did that thing. But boy, when they do it to us, we're right on them. Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus concerning this propensity toward being harsh and judgmental. He said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to bear with one another. And it's called bearing for a reason. When you bear a load, it's heavy. It's not something you actually wanted to pick up. And these things come along where we have to bear with one another's weakness. They are a burden for us. And yet Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? When he came down, his disciples were always screwing up, always doing annoying things, always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And he gave us this example of bearing with our weaknesses. And he continues to do so for you every day. He sees your shortcomings. He sees your weaknesses. But he remembers that you are made of clay. You're made of the dust of the earth. And he bears with your weaknesses. And I believe the only way that we will be able to bear with one another's weaknesses is to recognize the need for grace that we all have. We all need grace. I'll never forget a conference that I attended when I was in my 20s. And I had just gotten out of prison, and I was at this kind of retreat center. It was for men. And at the front of the church there that they had in the chapel there, uh, they had all these men who were leaders of the church, pastors, ministers, Uh, the main speaker called them all up and they had chairs all sitting along the front. And these men came forward and they were to sit down in these chairs. And then the speaker said, 
any of you who have had a wound in your heart from your father, I want you to come forward right now. And so my dad left when I was very young, four years old. And I had been wounded by that. It affected my life greatly. And so I came forward. And then the guy said, now, all of you who came forward, sit on the lap of one of these pastors up here. <laughs> and so I picked one of the biggest guys, because I was like 220 pounds, you know. And I sat down on his lap in what was probably one of the most awkward ministry moments in the history of my life, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we're sitting there, and the guy says, now, all you pastors, I want you to pray for these guys and ask the Lord to give you insight into the wound that's in their hearts. And so these guys began to pray for us. And Dave, the guy who I sat on his lap, a friend of mine, he began to pray for me. And he said, Scott, I really believe that one of the wounds that you have in your heart is because you believe that your dad left because of you, that you had something to do with him leaving. And I believe that the Lord wants to tell you that is not the case. It's not because he didn't love you. It's not because you were, you know, annoying to him. It wasn't because he was a bum. It was because he was also wounded by his own father and perpetuated that without the Lord to help him break the cycle. And I just started bawling, you know, like a baby. And he rocked me and held on. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> You know, it was true. And I realized in that moment that my father needed my forgiveness. He needed my grace. And I needed to forgive him because I was in bondage too to the unforgiveness that was in my heart for what he had done. And that doesn't mean not recognizing the fact that he did do something wrong to me. He did. He left. But I've done so many things wrong in my life. I need grace just as much as he needed for me, I need for my own children. Because I've failed each one of them. I've tried hard to be a good dad. But I've been selfish. I've looked to my own interests and needs more times than theirs sometimes. I've been angry. I've lashed out. Ignored them. And so each one of us need that grace from one another recognizing that we've all failed in so many ways. And one of the things that's interesting about the church life is it's sort of rare that you get a real major wound from somebody. It happens, right, in church. Sometimes that happens. It's called spiritual abuse. But more often than not, it's a lot of little things, isn't it? Little slights, a look being ignored by somebody, whatever it might be. And we begin to build up this resentment in our hearts toward one another. And that causes a rift. We need to recognize that each one of us need grace from one another in those moments. And sometimes it's unsaid. Sometimes you just say, okay, I'm going to let that roll off my back and not let it affect me or whatever. Sometimes it takes more courage to approach them and say, you really hurt me. You ignored me. Like one song that said, it was, it's about excuses why people don't go to church. That preacher man we have, me, we have must be the world's most stuck-up man. One of the ladies told me the other day, well, he didn't even shake my hand, <laughs> you know? And that's the way it is many times. Little things. 
He didn't shake my hand. He didn't look at me. And you don't know what's going on with them. They could be having the most terrible day in the world, and yet we've internalized it for ourselves. Many things, too, happen in the church where we don't get our way. Why'd they pick that color for the wall? Why'd they choose that color for the carpet? Why is that person sitting in my seat? Don't they know I've been sitting there since 1990? Right? And so all these things begin to build up. And we need to recognize that we need to commit to forgiving and giving grace regularly. Not because it's some great sacrifice, because we've been forgiven. We've been shown amazing grace, like we just sang about. All these things can lead people away from the Lord if we don't forgive one another, if we don't love one another. Notice here in that passage that Jesus goes on to say that this is going to be how people know that you love me. Because you love one another. That you're my disciples because you love one another. But so many times people come into churches and they look around and they think, why are these people gathered together? They don't really even like each other. They're just crabby and kind of putting up with each other and checking this thing off the list. But when we have that true love, when we work for it, and it takes work to love because it's a choice that you make every day. And that's what I think so many people that are married have a problem with. That's why they get divorced. I can't count how many times people have come to me and they've said, you know, I just don't love them anymore. Well, you don't choose to love them. You don't work hard to do the things that it takes to love another person. And sometimes there's things that are unreconcilable or whatever like that, but typically it's not that. Typically in marriage, it's a buildup over time that causes the breakdown. The work isn't being done. And that can happen in a church setting as well. Churches split and fall apart because people aren't consistently working toward love. In conclusion here this morning, as we think about this new commandment that Jesus gave us, we have to address a little bit of a difficulty that arises here as we look at one of the other uh, Gospels in Matthew 22, uh, 35 through 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Notice here that Jesus says that these are the greatest two commandments in the law. And so the question is, why then did Jesus give a new commandment? If these were the greatest commandments, why didn't he point to those? And I think that the reason, is, or the answer for this, is found in 1 John 4.12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God lives in us now because of Jesus. <laughs> he didn't before. And so, when you love your Christian brother or sister, you are loving God. God is in them. 
And that's one of the main reasons that we love one another, because they belong to God. They're precious to him. Children of the living God. Right? And so today we looked at two practical ways that we can show our love for God. We can lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters by considering their needs above our own, and we can bear with one another's weaknesses and recognize that we all need grace. You know when people come to a church and they visit it for the first time, yeah, it's nice to have the building fixed up and whatever, and that's a first impression. It's great if the music runs really well and whatever else like that. But do you know what really impresses people is when they feel like they are being loved. When they feel that God is showing love through his people to them. That's what attracts people. That's what people want the most. <laughs> they want to feel like they belong. That you love them that you care about them so much that you're willing to even set aside your own interests to love on them. And so my prayer that here at Elam is not that we become the greatest building in the thing or, you know, all these things. It's that we are such a loving congregation, right? Man, they loved each other. And so let's pray to that end that God would increase that love in our hearts. And we'll finish up next week with our last uh, sermon in the series on love. Father God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. That you laid down your life for our needs. And Lord, that you have borne with our weaknesses and shown us great mercy. Help us, Lord, as we look at those around us to do the same. And so in doing, loving you through those that you've called us to love. Loving your sheep. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.